Before we get into this episode of Conversations with Dwyer, I want to invite you to check out themattdwyer.com. There you can find merchandise like t-shirts or phone cases with the logo created by Charlene Yee. And you could become a Patreon subscriber. $5 a month gets you everything you could want. There's bonus material, videos, extended interviews, blogs. I sometimes do a podcast that solely lives on Patreon where I talk to comedians about the music they like. TheMattDwyer.com. Explore it. Also, all social media is there. Thank you, and enjoy this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Allies. It is from the album Hang Time. It is by Cedric Knoll. And it comes out on Joyful Noise Recordings. And it'll be digitally released November 12th, 2021. And then any of the pre-orders might take a little bit longer. Especially the vinyl will come out. will ship early 2022. But uh, you should buy it. It's a great album, and speaking, if, if you didn't put two and two together, Cedric is uh, my guest today, and it's a great episode. I really, really enjoyed talking to Cedric, and we had a great, great conversation. I love his music, and his. I really dig his voice, which I tell him during the interview, so you don't need to hear me talk about it. Uh, I know I plugged the uh, Patreon, but there is 20 or so more minutes of additional conversation with Cedric on the Patreon page. If you become a Patreon subscriber, you can go and listen to the unedited full version of this conversation, as well as many, many others of my old episodes. And speaking of old episodes, go to themattdwire.com slash episodes. You could scroll through and you could see past episodes. Uh, And speaking of my website, if you want a website and you need a website built for whatever the hell you do, go to kellyrdwire.com. She does my website. She also does my favorite murder, ologies, a bunch of podcasts. Um, So she could help you get a podcast web page or just a web page. She does them all. She does all kinds of stuff. Uh, She even does political campaign websites. She just does everything. kellyrdwire.com. And, of course, in the show notes are all these things, links to everything. And there's another thing I want to plug... And this is a free plug. They're not advertising, but the Manaqua Brewing Company in Wisconsin is owned by Kirk Bangstad. I hope I got his name right. But anyway, um, I've been to the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I just want to say they make great beer when I drank beer. Um, And it's a great... But what's more important than the Manaqua Brewing Company making great beer and Kirk Bangstad being a part of this company is that he's a progressive... And he started a political pack in the state of Wisconsin to take on conservative packs. And he's doing great fucking work. The links in on, are also in the show notes, uh, which my wife, Kelly R. Dwyer, uh, her family is from Wisconsin. And some of the things that Kirk and the Manaqua Brewing Company are fighting for and suing like uh, school districts who are not enforcing masks mask stuff. I'll just call it mask stuff. So Kirk and his company is taking on conservative packs and fighting for people. My 
wife's cousin has a child who's immune compromised and can't go to school. So people not wearing their masks could get her other kid sick. The kid could come home, get everyone sick, and affect their immune compromised child. So Kurt and the Kirk and the Minocqua Brewing Company are doing. So if you're in, what I'm saying is, if you're in the Wisconsin area, get some. You could their stores. Their website has a place that tells you where you can buy their beer. Or just go online and order a T-shirt. That's what I'm going to do. Just because I feel like a company and an individual who does things like this, this great, that helps the community and helps, you know, these fucking conservative packs outnumber the progressive packs. And that's why we don't have things like, I don't know, fucking health care. Not that, you know, some of them folk on the left ain't doing too much on that fucking part anyway. But the progressives, you know, some people are trying more. And if you're not used to me talking politically on this podcast since I've talked about music, well, actually, I do quite a lot. So I don't think this is a fucking shock that I am <laughs> spouting leftist uh, views and whatnot. So, but anyway, Monaco Brewing Company, if you're in that area, buy some beer, go online, order a t shirt, support somebody who is using his multi gazillion dollars. I think he's a billionaire. I'm not 100% sure on that. But he's using his money to do good and fight for the good stuff. So please, support the Nanakawa Brewing Company. I am an unofficial sponsor. We'll say that. I asked him if I could talk about them. Anyway, uh, I was going to say, back to talking about records and stuff. Here's a reason I like to buy records, and this is something I articulated that I haven't articulated. I like to have records or CDs so my daughters, when I play music, they know that music doesn't just come from yelling at a magical speaker that plays the songs you tell it to play. It gives them and you and all of us a connection to the music, that, which is important. I feel streaming has caused for a disconnect. And I feel what's more important than just buying records and whatnot, it makes, um, I mean, it supports the artist. That's what's really important. But also, it gives you a personal connection. And it gives my kids or your kids or kids in general a bigger concept of what music is. It's not just something that comes out of a magical speaker that you yell at. This is officially probably one of my longest intros to the show of all fucking time. So that being said, I'm going to uh, get into this com- com- excuse me, conversation with the great Cedric Knoll. You like I've made like a good amount of friends in LA during the pandemic, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, uh, since <laughs> just through the internet and. Uh, but I've always wanted to go. I, I thought about moving there years and years and years ago. I wanted to like, I thought that a good job for a musician would be to like uh, write uh, songs for pop stars. I thought that would be like a good, uh, like an office day job for a musician. Like you could just like do that. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't do that. But uh, yeah, like, yeah. But I, I don't think I'll ever move there. But uh, yeah, I'm very, fa- I'm very fascinated by the West Coast. Like you know, I said I've never been to Vancouver. I haven't been west of um, Alberta in North America. Ah. So like, yeah, or like I don't know what the equivalent in the states would be, like North Dakota or something. Um, yeah, not very west. The, the West Coast, as a guy who's lived all over the United States and t- toured it a bunch, it's like it was. 
the West Coast is kind of the best because it, it with you know, with the exception of like New York, the bigger cities, but it's like the West Coast tends to be more open minded and progressive where you know mm-hmm. i mean you're aware of america where everyone's got yeah. their fucking heads up their ass <laughs> yeah i mean i wonder if this is true um for people maybe south of oregon maybe but like i i was given this theory about east coast versus west coast in canada and it kind of applied maybe to like the pacific northwest too was that folks on the east coast of canada anyways and probably like maine and like new hampshire and like those places too people are really nice off the bat, like really friendly, really open, but really hard to get to know after that. Like it's always kind of surface, but people are very friendly. And then that West coasters are more guarded off the bat. But then once you like make the effort, they're actually like really will open up to you. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. That's It's an interesting, I mean, uh, I don't know. Like, like LA's, weird because there's a definite performative aspect to a lot of people's personalities because it's showbiz and like people are here to make it and fucking schmooze and I'm things I'm totally incapable of (laughs) (laughs) so I'm curious why are you in LA uh, because at one point I had an ego that deserved to be uh, satisfied but then uh but then it's like I saw friends. I I think mm-hmm. I, I used to want to be f- like famous, and then once I saw mm-hmm. it happen to people around me, I was like, "Oh, that looks fucking terrible." <laughs> that just seems like suffering, like in the true sense of like what Buddha was talking about. Like no one, <laughs> and I just and and I I think I never did anything creatively that want it was like geared towards like fame mm. i like i i like indie films and things that most people don't like so <laughs> uh, yeah. or as i like to say the good stuff <laughs> yeah it's not not untrue <laughs> i think there's like two movies that come out a year that i'm like oh i want to see that otherwise it's yeah. just more like oh why would anyone see that do you feel like the quality of quality and depth of just like your run-of-the-mill like whatever romantic comedy or whatever you know like whatever like sort of like run-of-the-mill genre is like has has uh, gone down in the last 10 years i do i really really do that's an interesting observation but i i think i agree with you do you yes yeah like i've because I, I i love watching romantic comedies it's like my like very easy like i don't i'm not good at like watching like intense films that much i uh, i live alone and it's like not good for me <laughs> like you know to like watch a really intense thing and then go to bed I, like there's enough intensity going on in my mind um but like yeah i can't watch those anymore it's just it, there it's there's uh, so uh, so much like uh lack of, of of any substance i find anymore so i just go back to watching like yeah indie films or something or a tv show yeah which, like, i'm TV. trying to think of the last what do you have a, could you think of the last romantic comedy that you were like uh, uh i mean i watched one about like a woman in it was like a guy in seattle who was suing a dating company I mean, the plot should have given it away to me, but uh, <laughs> he's doing a dating company and he like falls in love with like the lawyer who's like defending him. 
or, or yeah, defending him against the, against the dating company. Cause he said, yeah, I think he like claims that like, you know, you guarantee him we're, that we're going to, that, that everybody who's on this app is going to fall in love with, you know, the person that they meet on the app and you did, that didn't happen for me. And then of course he falls in love with the, the lawyer who's defending him, but it was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible. It was really bad. Um, but yeah, but this was like, yeah, I mean, desperate times in the depth of depths of like the winter. Of, <laughs> you just gotta, gotta keep going somehow. Yeah, it's weird because as, as of late, I found myself not, I, my desire to watch things. And I used to watch like three movies a day. Like I was avidly, oh, okay. but like now I'm like, I just, I'm like, I'll just go read because I can at least choose something reading wise. That's going to satisfy my taste mm -hmm. where okay. it's like i also i used to drink a lot so i think i would just watch things because i was already numb <laughs> so, <laughs> just adding to the numbness really <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> maybe, maybe that's i don't know uh it's like maybe that's why the films are worse now because you're aware <laughs> But that, that's I, I don't have that excuse. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm definitely I'm trying to think if I've seen like I don't know if I've watched any like good films of late. Like I, yeah, TV shows are more the the vibe. I yeah, like. I'm like excited to see P.T. Anderson's new film, like that, and uh, Don't Look Up is Adam McKay's. Like those are films I'm looking forward to, but that's about it that I know mm -hmm. of it as of now. Yeah. The last movie I got super stoked to see was The Irishman. Okay, I did not I didn't watch it. Well, yeah, if but, you don't if you don't have half a day. <laughs> <laughs> but you could say most films and I probably wouldn't have watched it. I feel very outside of the that uh that world, I guess. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. When you yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I feel like maybe I watch like more documentaries or something. That's what I find myself watching. I think that actually that I'll, that's the one thing that I uh, always watch. Like I just watched one about the prison riots in Attica on HBO. That was like just, I mean, it was upsetting, but it was also great. And it, but it was fucking upsetting. Yeah. So yeah. Stuff like that feels like I watch Yeah. Like more like political things. And then I do listen to a lot of interviews like that. Like I listen to interviews to get me to fall asleep. <laughs> and sometimes I, I listen to I listen to interviews during the day and then I'll might listen to them again at night because I know them and so it's like easier to fall asleep the trick is to not be too interested in what you're listening to oh so then you because otherwise you just like stay up and you're like in, in it you know yeah a friend of mine and he became friends with me later but he does a podcast solely to help people fall asleep it's called oh, Sleep With Me and mm -hmm. Oh, I know that name. Yeah, he's actually done the podcast. He's a very funny, but something. He's also like really brilliant. So sometimes, though, he would say things, and you're supposed to be falling asleep, but you're like, wait a minute, that was like really good wordplay, and then so it would kind of backfire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it has to be. It has to be the right kind of mundane. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I was joking the other day. I was like. I set up a new pedal board recently, and so I was really into like back into gear for a minute. And uh, I was I was listening to like rig rundowns of like 
artists I knew nothing about to fall asleep. <laughs> and that worked really well. It was just like, here's my whatever, or here's the guitar I use and the pedals that I use and the amps that I use. And I was like, oh yeah, that'll, that'll get me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting. I learned it, but yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I research a lot of my guests, obviously, and there's it's amazing to me how many articles are out there about, like, guitarists and what they use. And I'm like, this apply it, it would seem that it would apply to a small faction of people. Is I don't know. Maybe there is a large group of people who are like, I really want to know your Wawa. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I mean, I think there's just a lot of people play guitar and like are really or people are just really into gear, um, which uh, I mean I, I'm thankful for because they, they've helped me a lot. Like I, you know, everything I've learned about gear generally is either from like friends of mine asking questions or just you know going on the internet and yeah. I mean, you, there's like literally a website where you could go and like type in a guitarist name that you you know that is like remotely famous and you could find out what they used on their board, you know, which is kind of wild. I wish I knew more about that. I feel like a lot of, do a lot of guitarists think of that? Is there, I don't know. I, I'm thinking of from the realm of the world I grew up in, which was small minded and stupid, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but it was like everyone listened to the heavy metal dudes and shred. Mm. And then when like someone like the edge came around and he used a lot of effects, people were like, that's not playing, but it's like, that's a complete art form of its own. And the edge is pretty fucking brilliant in that regard as, as far as I, my education goes. Yeah, uh, and probably influenced a lot of people who don't even listen to you too. Um, you know, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's like a faction of, or like you know, there are different factions in the guitar world or whatever about pedals and how much you should use some. And I do think that like you should. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Like I do feel like for myself, I needed to uh, figure out like how, sort of like how to play the guitar in ways that I found interesting or find ways things that I found interesting or whatever. Um, but I definitely love pedals and I love using them to, um, I feel like I split them into two categories. I have like my, my problem solvers <laughs> and then <laughs> my, um, sort of like things that maybe are held with dynamics or like, you know, beautiful things or beautiful sounds or whatever soundscapes. And those can also be problem solvers. So like if in, in, if I I play a solo a lot, so I have to like figure out how to make the show interesting. And so, you know, if I want to like bring in a chorus that feels really huge, um, you know, there's only so much you can do if you're just literally just playing a guitar, but you know, I have different pedals that can bring in huge swells of just like ambient noise or whatever. I have a synthesizer pedal that I have started using recently that like makes the, it really like shifts the tone of the set for a couple songs. So those are like kind of like in the beautiful pedal territory, but they are also problem solvers. Like, okay, like I'm not, I'm not just buying a pedal because I want to try it out or whatever. I want to, I bought this pedal because like there's something that I need to, add to my set or that I need to fix with my set. And I think this will help. And usually that's the case. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Do you prefer sort of being on your own in that regard of creating and performing? Do you like sort of solving those problems and creating that world on your own? It's, uh, it, it depends. It goes in ways, but yeah, generally I, I, I 
I think I feel most comfortable when I'm alone because I don't have to worry about anybody and not in that like anybody's going to make a mistake or anything, but it's more just like, if you're the band leader, like I feel like you're also like have to make sure that everyone's like, or I'm very concerned about everybody having a good time, everybody like being okay, you know, whatever. And um, when I'm alone, I feel like I can kind of just do whatever I want. So if I want to play a song completely differently in the middle of the set, I can do that. Or if I want to just like move on to a different song or I want to talk for 10 minutes, I can do that. Whereas like if you're in a band setting, like you're, there's just more structure, uh, unless you're, you've been a band for like 10 years or whatever, but, uh, yeah, it's easier to just be for me to be by myself. And then I can kind of just like cater to the show instead of the show having to cater to what I've had planned for. I guess. That sounds, yeah. It just sounds like, does that, it makes me think that every show of yours is different. Like it's its own entity. That's the, that's usually the the plan. Yeah. Or not the, or the plan to not have a plan. I always go in with a pretty good plan, but then like, I'm very happy to like, yeah, I don't know if the, but even in like in the middle of a song, if like, I feel like maybe people are a bit bored or if somebody's talking, I might go really quiet to make them aware <laughs> of the fact that I know or something like that. Um, I, yeah, I just find it's like more liberating in a way, but it's, it's really fun to play with people. Um, but I think I, maybe I enjoy playing with people more when I'm like playing bass for people or guitar. Like if I'm the support person, I find that like being part of the organism is a lot more fun. I, I think it's interesting that you said if somebody's talking, you go quiet, which I think is, which is an interesting choice because I feel like it's the opposite of what most people would do. Yes. To, to, to choose to dr- pull them in is very interesting. And I think uh, the, the wiser of choices, quite honestly. I think it, it usually works. Sometimes it's just, <laughs> sometimes you just, you have no control over what's going on, but especially if it's just like, you know, three people talking in the back and once you go because like the louder you go the more permission it gives people to sort of get more comfortable with how loud they're being um which you know sometimes is fine or whatever but uh i find that like if i'm playing solo like the show is better if like we're all sort of in it together and there's like nothing like pulling us away from from what's happening with the show and maybe it probably is a bit of an ego thing too, obviously because I'm the one performing, but <laughs> you'll find like if everybody's like engaged, then it tends to be like a better, a better experience for everybody. Was there a, a process of performing that took you to that place that were to learn to, to play the room in such a manner? Cause that yeah. seems like a, like a, a, an experienced move. Yeah. I learned, I mean, I always, I've, generally play in bars or in clubs, I guess. Um, I mean, now it's changed. Like I, like one show might be in a concert hall or something or a nice hall and one show might be in a bar or something. But uh, I played, I've done a lot of like things where I'm like playing bass for a band and then I'll open the show. Um, and so I did that with a friend of mine a couple of times years ago for like, you know, uh, tours that happened for like two or three weeks at the time and each show was in a bar um and I don't know yeah it just like taught me that a you kind of have to be the life of the party you, have to, like, you, can't, you can't like 
and and it helps for me because I'm tall, quite tall. I'm like six five. <laughs> I'm probably usually the only like black person in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a guy, so and I have a loud voice, so like I can come up on stage and like kind of you know get people kind of psyched that and like make people aware that I'm happening that you know I'm happening on the show. <laughs> Because I feel like a lot of times if it is a quieter act, they kind of come up and then they maybe aren't like engaging the crowd right away. They start playing, thinking that maybe that will draw the crowd in. But for me anyways, I think that I need to like have like, just have a conversation with people and be like, I'm, you know, I'm going to play, you know, I'm a, this is going to, this could be fun for you. And then at least for those, whatever, three minutes, people are listening to me talk, hopefully. And then when I start playing quietly, then, they're already listening so maybe they'll keep paying attention and but then yeah and then like the playing quieter i think i I don't know why i started doing that i think well yeah like when you think of people giving speeches and going and their dynamics so if they're talking louder you know it's a point of power or they're making a big point but people will often go quieter too to drop people in like the quieter you go the more intimate the more people have to like come towards you. So, uh, I think I took that from that. Um, I remember, I forget like who I was watching talker, you know, I was probably watching somebody talk at some point. I was like, Oh, that probably would work. <laughs> yeah. I used to watch a stand up comic and he was in Chicago, but he's, he plays all named Dwayne Kennedy and he would play with pauses. And I never like most comics too scared to do that. Like, it's like, gotta get the laughs. Gotta, and Dwayne would take these like, and it was, it was like you would lean in and mm. most, I think most people don't think that way. Like it was like, I mean, he's a brilliant dude. So it's like, yeah. it's like so of course he's doing something brilliant, but it was like always fascinating to me because I don't, most people don't fear silence, which I feel like is a yeah. powerful dynamic. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I do similar things with music sometimes of just like really stopping, but I think it works so well in comedy. I was thinking about this this morning, actually, like that my, some of my favorite jokes are when something is about is implied, but isn't said Yeah, in the pause, in that like pause right before you, or maybe right before punchline, but even the punchline doesn't need to be said. And I think the same thing can work with like a pause because people are just like hanging on and that's like that's such a cool feeling both as the performer as and as the audience i think yeah it's funny because i was thinking about that in regards to film the other day because i was thinking about the end scene of um fuck what is the movie no country for old men Mm -hmm. when he comes to the the wife's house and he's gonna obviously he's gonna kill her and it's like, I think most films show the violence and like the thing about a lot of the violence in that film is they cut before it gets happens. Oh yeah. And it's, just, sorry, sorry, go on. Oh, I was just gonna say it's so much more powerful. Like there's that scene when, mm-hmm. when, uh, Brolin gets killed, but you don't see it. They just pull up in a car and it's already happened. And I'm like, that's way better than seeing that whole sequence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just as shocking, like emotionally, like you still have the same sort of, um, I don't know. The, the the effect is maybe the same or more powerful because it's implied. Yeah, you don't have to see the gore or the, the blood. <laughs> it's it's so wild that we... I, I don't know. I feel like Hitchcock was good at that too. And it's like... I don't know. I feel like we've really forgotten that in specifically in American cinema. 
course, the Koreans can be pretty violent, but man, the South, <laughs> the South Koreans make great films. So I'm not going to, I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to bag on them at all. <laughs> I'll bag yeah. on America though, left and right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, bigger is bigger is better in, in America. Apparently. Um, <laughs> you mentioned early that you, like you wanted to move to LA or you, you dreamed of uh-huh. moving to LA and writing like pop songs for famous people. And I was like, do you <laughs> write those kind of songs? Do you entertain that kind of, do you, en- um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I have another project, uh, which is, you know, I haven't released a lot of things on it. Um, but yeah, it's like pop songs or, or like R and B pop songs. I mean, what, I don't know what pop, music is what people consider pop music anymore. I consider what I do. I consider a lot of like what I do to be pop music, but because it's just like the form is the same. Like if, you know, I, I don't know, I had a music class years, you know, when I was in high school or middle school or whatever. And like you have the lineage, whatever the Western lineage of, of music and pop music is generally understood in this theory or whatever, as you know, the, the verse chorus verse, like, B section or whatever, and then a last chorus or whatever. And so many genres have that in North American genres have that. So to me, it's kind of all the same, like, like, you know, country and R and B and pop and rock music, different kinds of rock music, uh, different kinds of folk music. To me, it's like kind of all the same because they all have the same form and have very similar, similar like historical lineages. Um, but uh, anyways, to answer your actual question, there's <laughs> <laughs> my rant. Um, yeah, like I, yeah, I, I, there's like a, there's like a stock of, of songs that, um, or melodies that could maybe make sense in that, in that forum. But um, yeah, I don't know if uh, I'm writing like, like Billie Eilish pop songs, you know, right. I think I could if I, if I wanted to, but I don't. It doesn't like, I, or I don't know if I could actually, I don't think I could because I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't get what, um, you, you know, when like, you, you know, that moment where you like get a band or you get a singer, like you, you just understand it. And I just don't, for a lot of pop music, I just don't understand the, the appeal. Like, I think that people are very drawn to the production and the glossy nature and like the aesthetics, both musically and uh, uh, like visually. But I, I just like I don't get what people get musically out of or like melodically out of those those songs. Like I think it's maybe more geared towards like the bass and maybe like the rhythm or the vibe. But uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know if I could a song like that. I, I don't. I don't know where you would start. I feel like. And I, I hope I don't sound like an asshole or pretentious, but I feel like a lot of people don't legitimately listen to music. A lot of times it's a filler of their, to fill the space. <laughs> what I thought fast, it was fascinating. And I don't know if you watch this, but the Rick Rubin, Paul McCartney series on Hulu. Where- I haven't, but I, I, I want to. Yeah. It looks interesting. What, yeah. what I found really interesting about it and what I th- I was like, oh, and I hope people pick up on is he'll like, you know, he'll be at the mixing board and he'll just play like the rhythm section or the bass or something for McCartney and they'll discuss it. And I was like, 
And it's like, I was like, wow, like that made me think, I was like, wow, people don't really listen to that intricately to music. It's pretty rare that people. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. And I think that's what kind of just generally always been the case, I think. Um, because, and, and some, this is probably, I was listening to some podcast and they had the term of active listeners and non-active listeners, I think was the term. And so active listeners maybe are folks like you and me who are like actively seeking out music and really, you know, wanting to listen to it. And that's like a, a daily activity. And then there are sort of non-active who are just kind of consuming it because they enjoy it, but that's not their sort of passion or domain that they want to spend the majority of time. in. so, yeah, I, and I think the majority of people are not active listeners. <laughs> Obviously, because, you know, other people, uh, musicians would, every musician would be really rich or something, but, uh, <laughs> you know, like, it's the reality, like, uh, but I, but yeah, I, I think people love it, but it's like, it's kind of the same with like, maybe like film too, like, you know, there's only a subset of folks who maybe like, are really like watching or understanding like the different shot selection or what, what the screenplay is and, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, I've, I like same with like what you said about pop music is how I feel about a lot of like, and I'll watch a Marvel or movie and I like a big dumb popcorn movie now and again, but sometimes I watch those and I'm like, what the fuck just happened here? And like, and I know people who will see them, they will be told they're bad, but they'll still go blow the 15, 20 bucks or whatever it is in one of those big movie houses yeah. to see it because they... It's just fascinating to me because I'm like, if you know it's not going to be very good, why are you spending your money? <laughs> like, it's just baffling to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's just like, sometimes it's cool to watch something that's kind of dumb and easy just to, just to sort of dilute the... <laughs> yeah. The, and also, you know, like I think if maybe if I look at, think of it like larger picture, if, you know, if we're like we're bombarded by so much uh, sadness and bad in the world on a constant basis, maybe more than, you know, ever before uh, because of how readily available information is to us. I think maybe the, um, the attraction of going to see something that is so outside of reality in a way is, is very uh, attractive. Yeah. I guess that, that makes sense, especially because I think of like during the depression era, it was all a lot of musicals and, Mm. shiny imagery so to speak (laughs) i mean they're great films but it's like but it seems like the equivalent for sure yeah yeah so but yeah i don't know but yeah pop pop music i'll i'll get around to it i'm trying (laughs) i i really try i i like to i I really try to listen to stuff that i i don't get um I think yeah. that's important. Like, I feel like there was a period as a young man, I was closed off to a lot of music because mm-hmm. uh, you're 21 and you're stupid, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're projecting an image of who you want to be. And so I was like, that's bullshit. But then it's like, as an adult, I'm like, I need to reinvestigate these things because I'm probably missing out on good mm-hmm. stuff. Do you recall when you became an active listener was there a distinct moment where music sort of stuck out to you and that became your interest yeah i mean i think there were maybe like two periods like there was one probably when i was like 14 um and i that was like when i was 13 or 14 maybe or maybe a bit younger like 12 
I sang in front of people for the first time, like as a performance. And I think from then on, I like started seeking out music, but I didn't know, I didn't understand the landscape in any way. And because, you know, I was, I I grew up in different parts of the world. And at that point we were living in Holland and I didn't have any frame of reference for anything that I was listening to. I didn't know what people look like. I just didn't understand like the culture or the movements behind any of the music I was listening to, but I was definitely seeking it out. But then I moved to Canada when I was 17, 18 for university and I was living on the East coast in, in Fredericton in, in uh, New Brunswick. And then I like really like started seeking out stuff. Like I, I, I was like, I went to my first show just by happenstance and then picked up um, like a sampler from the, the one of the labels that were, were, were there. And um, like, I think from there, I just, because the internet was also better. <laughs> I was <talking laughs> think about it too, you know, like, but yeah, it was just, it just became easier. And so I was just like, really like started digging through tons and tons of music just from the East Coast of Canada at that point. And then it just like, sort of like, I started to like learn about certain lineages of, of music through that. But then like, you know, like wasn't until I was 23 or 24, somebody like mentioned like Stephen Malkmus to me. And, uh, I was like, Oh, okay. Like, cool. And I listened, I didn't even listen to payment. I listened to Malkmus first, like his solo stuff, <laughs> an acoustic like session. Like it wasn't even a record or anything. And I was like, like I was like, man, this guy sounds a lot like me. <laughs> That's and, interesting. Uh, it was just so weird to to you know, and then to have to like do the work backwards, kind of, and be like, oh, okay, you know. And I did that with you know, I use him as an example, but I did that had to do that with a lot of people. Um, and, and sort of be like, oh, okay, so this is like, you know, this is the lineage because I didn't grow up in North America. I didn't grow up really in Europe for most of my life. So I didn't, and, and was listening to a lot of like non-Western music as well, of course, but that was the lineage and the history was a lot more bad and the culture was a lot more evident to me because we were in those places. And so I just, yeah, I just felt like I was like doing all this like research, just like catch up to like, <laughs> you know, life or there or something. Um, and I still have a huge blind spots at, at this point. Like you could probably say an artist, you know, I probably wouldn't know them, you know, in some, in some regards. <laughs> but I mean, everybody, I, I, like, I think it's interesting because you say like, Oh, I, I had to work backwards, but that's kind of how it is with everybody. When you discover music, you find you're in and then it goes from there. Cause you know, I'm trying to think, you know, like, and that's what I learned. Someone said early, like what Dylan did is he liked so-and-so and then he went and looked at who influenced them. And then you go back. I mean, that's, you should, I, I feel like you should look, go to the roots and go backwards. Yeah. You know what? I think you're, yeah, I think you're very right to say that. I think what was surprising to me was like how much I sounded like the people that I didn't know about, you know, like, um, like at the time I was like playing a lot of like, very pavement-y kind of stuff and like playing guitar like that and didn't even listen to that music or any of the music from that era. <laughs> so I was just kind of like uh, flabbergasting to have to like, you know, you're just kind of like, wait, what? Like, you know, this is, this is what it is. But I, you know, I'm sure, I guess what you're saying is very true, though. I'm sure that's the case for a lot of people. I think it just, I didn't even understand the, um, 
like I didn't understand, I didn't know what grunge was, you know, like it was like, you know, it was really like, I felt like I was like, not just learning about music, but then I was like learning about like history <laughs> as a whole. And I just wasn't, you know, wasn't here for it in any way, even though I was alive at that point. Did you discover, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to, did you discover that you had similar influences that Pavement had? Was there any sort of anything that lined up with that or was that just sort of a random? No, like that was pretty, like, it was pretty in line. Like I I realized I was listening to a lot of bands that were probably influenced a lot by Pavement, you know, or bands of that era. Um, and, And I think that was more the case. Like, I don't know, like... It's not like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of bands that they listen to or something. Like, I wasn't like a big, like, Sonic Youth person. I still haven't. I haven't gotten there. I don't know if I ever will. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like Sonic Youth, but I understand, like, some... I understand if somebody doesn't. I'm like, yeah, I I totally... Same. Yeah, yeah, it's not even that I don't like them. I just, like, haven't even, like, given them the the time of day, really, to to get into it. Or, you know, there are a lot of bands like that, that, you know, I'm sure I have, like, a mental list somewhere in my brain of, like influential bands of the you know 60s to 90s in in america that maybe i should listen to because probably get a lot out of them but um yeah or like my bloody valentine i you know never you know it's in england but i never got into but then like you know when i was listening to slow dive i realized like oh this is i've been pulling from them too and i have no idea where i got that from but you know, listening to their music, I was like, oh, this sounds like my music, you know, a better version. <laughs> oh, I love your, like, uh, it's funny because I listen to your stuff and like now I'm like, oh, I have to go back and listen to your music and see if I can hear Pavement because it didn't, I was, yeah. I, I was curious of what your influences were, especially your, with your singing. Mm, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely all over the place. Like, and I've definitely moved from thing to thing every album and i think like the album hang time that i guess yeah that's coming out i feel like it's like kind of the end of a certain kind of writing and now i've like really like moved on from that um but uh yeah like i don't know my i'm trying to figure out what my influences are i was talking to carl uh from joyful noise uh, a while ago about this and like i don't know like because I listened to a lot of like West African music um, and like that was very, that's like very inform, it informs me a lot rhythmically, especially and melodically. Um, but then like, you know, my, my parents listened to a lot of like uh, Joe Cocker and Tracy Chapman and uh, I'm trying to think of who else, like, but then like all like the Putamayo CDs compilations. I don't know if you know those. And then, um, but then, you know, like, weirdly, when I was a pre, pre-teenager, I, like, got into Blink-182, but had no idea who they were. Um, <laughs> and then, but then also, like, I'm really into, uh, you know, and then got into, like, a lot of East Coast, like, uh, um, um, Canadian East Coast music that uh, I feel like a lot more people should know about. But, like, you know, maybe somebody like John McKeel, I don't know if you've, like, come across him um, in the past. Um, and then, but then got into like a lot of like ambient and experimental music as well. Um, so who, I feel like, oh, sorry. I was just going to ask uh, ambient wise who, who you listened to. 
uh, at the time, I mean, like, you know, like, I think I was introduced to Grouper and that changed a lot in me, uh, like I think a lot of people. Um, but it was just, a, you know, I'm trying to think of who I would have listened to back at that point. Um, like Peter Broderick did a lot of like... Oh, yeah. yeah. I like uh, Peter. It's, I forget how I discovered him years ago, but I tried yeah. to... Early in the podcast, I tried to get him on. He was living in Berlin at the time. He's yes, great. I'm um, glad you reminded me of him. I can. He, he, I mean, he like he uh, changed like a big part of my stage performance. Uh, I saw him play in 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 Fredericton, and uh, he played three times. There was this festival every winter called Shivering Songs, and um, they invited him out and. You know, he, he played like kind of three different sets throughout the weekend, which was really cool. And, um, you know, he's a big, in, insanely good musician. <laughs> um, and, uh, but one of the shows, I think it was the first show, he was just standing in front of me. It was kind of like a collaborative set with two other um, bands, and it was, and then him. And so they're kind of just like intertwining with each other. And um, at the beginning of the show, he was just kind of standing in front of me, and I kind of recognized him, but, you know, and it's Fredericton's this you know, a smaller city and, you know, so you kind of recognize everybody's other show. So when you see somebody you don't know, you're like, who is that? <laughs> and he was, yeah, you know, I was just kind of like, he's definitely like, he's definitely like somebody who's performing. <laughs> um, and, but I was like, oh, but I didn't quite recognize him. And then he just started walking up on the stage and singing. And then, you know, in key, just started playing the piano and it was so effortless. And then, you know, he played his first song and then he just went up to the microphone and just started kind of making jokes and being very comfortable with everybody. And it just felt so easy. And uh, that like completely changed how I looked at being a performer because before I felt, I thought you had to be like, kind of like serious or like brooding or whatever, you know, whatever dumb, dumb thing. And he, yeah, he just opened my eyes to like, oh, you can just kind of be yourself or you can be like this uh, inviting person. You can like make people feel comfortable and happy and laugh and um, kind of have them, um, yeah, sort of, it sounds bad, but like have them in the palm of your hand in a way that you can kind of just like bring them through different emotions throughout the show. And uh, yeah, seeing him was like, I was like, oh, okay. And, and, you know, he was like playing a folk song and then he was playing like a five or 10 minute like piano piece and then, looping on violin and you know he was just kind of going through genres willy-nilly and it just all made sense and I was like oh that that would be cool to, to try to do <laughs> um and I'm still trying to figure out how to do all of that but um but yeah like it was him and then um there were a lot of like uh, just like cool musicians in Fredericton that were doing stuff and like a lot of just like open improvisation and and, and things like that so I like it just kind of I think I first encountered ex like ambient or weirder music through that sort of lens of just like going to a show with 10 people at it or something like that and that felt super comfortable um, as opposed to like you know listening to like Niels Fromm or something <laughs> did you did you want to be solo, like a, a solo artist? Because I know you said you play with other bands here and there, and I was wondering if you started yeah. off playing in a band and then moved to, to your own. Mm, the first thing I did was with people, and I was in many bands where I was like the front person. Um, 
And then, but I always kind of did my own thing as well on the side, but it was always kind of put in the, on the back burner or just to the side. Like it was just kind of like, oh, this is like, I can do like my weird experiments and release them, but I won't play much or something like that. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of, I, I don't think I ever really made a decision to not be in a band as a front person again. I just, I think it just kind of started to make sense because when I write, I hear generally hear all the parts myself. Like I have a pretty clear vision when I write a song. Um, so it just felt like maybe it didn't make sense. You know, I'm thinking in retrospect, maybe, maybe I was just like, it doesn't make sense to have people having to write with me and having to like endure that <laughs> with me. <laughs> it just seems like e- easier for everybody if I can at least get all my ideas down and then invite people here and there to do things. And then, you know, and I, I do play shows with a band or different bands and that's really fun as well. Um, but at that point, like, yeah, I can just be like, here's the song, learn, no, learn the song and then do your thing or like learn these specific parts or depending on what the kind of set is. But uh, yeah, but I, yeah, I, I will always want to play like be a side person in a band. That's, the ideal thing <laughs> it's like because you don't have to worry about you don't have to like be the band uh parent and uh you can just kind of do your thing you know you can kind of be the band grandparent or you can be the <laughs> band like you know like you, you know you can be you can it's very malleable um in terms of like your responsibility i guess yeah i was curious because you said like um about this album coming out that it ended, mm-hmm. it ended a period of songwriting. Yeah. And then, like, how do you, is that like, is something that you notice like, okay, I've moved into a different direction or is that like an organic, it's just an interesting observation. Of, of, it's, yeah. It definitely was organic. Like, I don't think I like, uh, necessarily like was like, okay, I'm not going to write songs like that yet. And maybe I will, you know, 15 years or whatever. But, um, again, but, I felt like I was trying to write like an indie rock record for the last, you know, six years or something like from 20, maybe when I was like 21 to 26 when I like finished the record. So, cause like I wrote the record maybe four or five years ago now. Um, really? So it's like, yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> In a while. Uh, I know like vinyl delays everything and I'm kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> like I know I yeah. have a friends who own small labels and they're like, it takes a fucking year. And I'm like, as an artist, if someone, if I finish something and then when someone was like, and in a year it comes out, I'd be like, what? Like that would yeah. drive me insane. This is, yeah, this is my first time kind of dealing with that uh, without it being self-imposed because I you always just would put stuff out myself or on a label that I had myself. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, yeah, like I wrote, I wrote it when I was probably like 26, 25, 26, but like we finished the album in at the beginning of 2020, like January, 2020. So it was kind of like I wrote it and then I didn't, do anything with it and I demoed it and then I made, made a record or whatever. It was kind of like, I was like, okay, this is my, if, if at any point I'm going to make something in a studio, this is the one. And so I'll just do it now and we'll see what happens you know, with it or whatever. Um, and so far it's going okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like, I, yeah, I was trying to write like an indie rock record and I think I just finally did in a way 
and it kind of felt like, okay, like kind of like mission accomplished for me. Like, I don't need to try to do that again. We can move on to trying different kinds of things. Do you know what you're moving towards or what you want to move towards or is yeah. that like, yeah, like, I mean, I, I'm somebody who doesn't write very often, but when I am, I'm like, can write an album in two weeks. Like it just like kind of like, hap- like it becomes like, um, uh, sort of, uh, what's the word? Um, I don't, yeah, I can't find the word, but I just like, I, I can't, uh, stop. Like it's kind of like man- manic in a way. I'm not, I'm not manic myself, but it <laughs> feels like, um, and I just, I can't stop. So I, I have, a, I'm recording another record at the moment that I started last March. Um, but then again, like the songs are from, you know, years ago or whatever. Um, again, but, uh, it's like more, it's definitely like, of a much more relaxed record, which is really nice to make. Uh, I was recording saxophone and clarinet with a friend yesterday. You know, it's like very, you know, he, he mentioned like Smog and Bill Callahan as like, that's what it reminded him of. And um, yeah, there's definitely some of like that vibe on there. Um, and then I have a record after that, that I think is going to be a lot more trying to maybe meld uh I tried to like write pop songs without choruses, but that are like kind of like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how to describe it, but, uh, well, have you listened to the third Fleet Foxes record? I, I have listened to the, I couldn't say I specifically could reference yeah. that. No. Okay. no, that's fine. Yeah. I just wasn't sure. Yeah. I, I thought I'd shoot my shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the, I feel like that's the closest I can get to describing what it makes me feel or, but yeah, I guess they're just like, it's more, a lot more complex songs um, that feel still like emotionally heavy, but maybe are like a bit more like the arrangements in my head feel more like fun. Whereas I felt like hang time, it just feels like very heavy, like emotionally and to me anyways, it just feels like a heavy brick. (laughs) In a good, you know, and it had to happen and I'm very happy with it. But yeah, just trying to maybe, yeah, or maybe the best way to say it is like, I think like uh, there's a lot less angst coming along, you know, after after this record. It just, I feel like a lot more relaxed as a person. I just, I turned 30 recently and, you know, it just, I, like I felt like a big shift in my person in the last two years. Um, as opposed to when I was in my mid twenties, which do you feel like that when, cause when you say you, there's less anxiety, do you feel like that through the music you exercise that anxiety and are able to move on? Is that, is there sort of a therapeutic or a, a, a aspect yeah. to that? I was having a hard time speaking for some, <laughs> I think I had a mini stroke for a second. <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> I don't even know how to like help. I'd be like, uh, <laughs> uh, weird thing to laugh about. But <laughs> this is struggling to get your information. Um, yeah, just call. Yeah, I, I'm not going to go on this. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, for sure. Like, uh, yeah, every record kind of feels like a way to you know, I'm obviously writing for a reason and I'm, when I'm writing, I'm not like, okay, I'm going to write a song or I'm going to like write down the lyrics. I just sit down and play usually on the 
guitar, like I'll play something and sing, and that's the song a lot of the time, you know, and I'll make maybe a couple corrections here and there on words or on a chord, maybe like how long a chord lasts or something like that. But like, I don't, maybe I am more of an improviser than like maybe a songwriter in that respect where I'm just kind of just like, I'll do the thing and I'm maybe like sort of doing it subconsciously and then I'll realize that it's a song afterwards. Um, and so uh, I think through that is like, obviously it's a way of processing because it's coming from some emotional place. And uh, yeah, so that it, it definitely helps process like anxiety or angst or some worry or whatever and a good way to maybe learn something about myself <laughs> at the same time um yeah when you're not in one of those writing because you said you're like you'll write an album in two weeks do you yeah. are you concerned when you're not writing or are you, are you just sort of zen about it and it's like the next time it happens it happens yeah i used to be really worried before uh, and it, and before it was like i would only write at winters like winters were really good interesting and so i knew yeah, I think, I don't know, yeah, I think it was just, like, it's very, like, reflect in, in Canada, anyway, in, in, in Fredericton and in Montreal, just a great time to write it. You know, just, I like watching Snowfall, and, yeah, just something, like, clicks, but now it just kind of is less less so, and it just kind of happens when it happens, but uh, now I'm, I'm not worried at all, you know, I just know that, you know, now that you mentioned it, maybe there's, like, a bit of worry seeping in. <laughs> I just fucked it up for you. <laughs> no, no, but, like, no, it's fine. Like, I, it's actually, I, I feel, re- like, it's so weird. It's so weird to say, but I feel relieved when I'm not writing because I'm just, like, I don't have to do this right now. Like, I, I can, like, go about my life and, you know, work work and, and see my friends and see my, my, my sister and her family. And, like, I'm not, like... When I'm writing, I feel like that's the only thing that I can do. It's the only thing I'm thinking about. Like, even if I'm, like, going on a walk with somebody, like, that's all I'm thinking about. Yeah. And so when I'm not writing, I'm just, like, feel like I can, like, breathe and live my life. And um, and then also, like, focus on, you know, recording things, you know, and, like, actually fleshing the ideas out. Um, and if I ever worry that I really can't write, then I can just make an ambient album. There you go. That's also great, too. I don't have to, like... Um, you know, obviously the piece has to be good, but I feel like that's like a good way of like countering that uh, fear. It's just like, oh, I can just like play a you know ten minute drone on my synth tonight and see if that feels like a piece. You know, <laughs> do you when you finish writing an album, is there and you know you're done? Do you mm-hmm. feel like do you miss it? Do you is there like a almost a sense of mourning? Isn't maybe the right word, but Oh, no, uh, no, no. I'm like so excited because I get, I mean, I write music so I can listen to it. So I'm just like, get to listen to music that is like, it's like almost like making a playlist for yourself. Like, it's like, I get to just like listen to these things that I made. That's awesome. I like that. I've <laughs> yeah. never heard anyone say that. I really like That's like, yeah, I, mean, I, it's, I don't know. I, maybe it's like a very egotistical thing to say in some way, but like, you know, for that's how I've always uh, engaged with my music. Like it's different now. I think people, maybe you know, a few more people will listen to each album, each, you know, each subsequent album, hopefully uh, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I kind of just write for myself, and I like write to write write to um, quench like the 
the things that maybe I'm trying to hear in other music that I don't hear or, you know, like, it's like, what if I could combine these two bands together? Or what if I tried this genre and this genre together? Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's kind of like, that's, I feel lucky that I, I'm able to make music because then I can just do it for myself. <laughs> it did. It, like when you said, uh, I hope that doesn't sound egotistical. I was like, it sounds like joy is what that sounded like to me. Mm-hmm. Like I've just, it sounded like you have a genuine joy about it. And that's. Yeah. No. Yeah. I feel so happy too. I just mean like, you know, it's like, can feel like it can sound like a lot of somebody's like, yeah, I'm listening to my music. <laughs> <laughs> I think as long um, as it's not like, you know, I used to knew a friend who was on a TV show and he would watch himself uh, like hung over in his bed. He would watch his reruns. And I was like, it just seemed like Nora Desmond sunset Boulevard kind of sad, (laughs) but it's different than (laughs) listening to your, I don't know, like the way you presented it, it just seemed like very joyful. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah. I mean, I'll read things I write and be like, Hey, I did this. Look at me. I think it's, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's, it's, it can be healthy to do that. And, you know, I think for a lot of, a lot of people, the more people I meet, <laughs> I realize that we all have, you know, we all struggle with confidence and, and self-esteem. And um, yeah, one thing I've realized about myself is that I, I'm beginning to be more confident in other aspects of my life. Um, but music is something that for some reason, even when I was, you know, a little kid and and you know not having a great time with you know life or with people or whatever i always knew that i was you know i always thought to myself oh like i'm good at music or i can do music you know that's something that i can do and um i it's cool that that's still the case and it gives me at least some like positivity um when i listen to my my own stuff um and uh makes me yeah inspired and then I can listen to other people's stuff and get more ideas and stuff. But yeah, I think it can be like a good self-esteem boost if you need it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you found your passion and it's like, it's weird because I think with creative things, if you're proud of it and you are confident in it, there's a judgment or we fear a judgment of others. But if a dude makes a really cool picnic table (laughs) and goes, look at my picnic table, people go, yeah, that's a good pic. Like they don't, they don't, it's a whole different so it's like you're a craftsman you created a good thing you should fucking enjoy it god damn it yeah yeah yeah, exactly i mean you know to uh to complete complete the thought it does come back around where i like listen to stuff and i'm like okay i could have done a better job um (laughs) i think that's Um, everybody's probably that way though i don't you know no i know i just yeah just to complete the the cycle or whatever um (laughs) i wonder if mozart did that yeah probably (laughs) i mean maybe i mean Maybe I wonder because if you're only writing your stuff down and you're not able to readily listen to it all the time, maybe you have a better relationship to it. Like you're able to let it go of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're only listening to it when, you know, you have a full like symphony in front of you. So like how many times are you going to hear it? But also that seems like growth. I think, I think you, I'm speaking on a personal, but you go, Oh, I wish I would have done this, but that's how you go. Then you apply that to the next time where you're like, oh. exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get to you get to correct your correct some of your mistakes. So yeah, like definitely, like what I'm doing now is uh, I'm definitely trying to correct a lot of the, the holes that I see in. in my 
Well, I think I really love your music and I love, I love your singing. I just want to get that out there. Thank you. And, uh, and I want to thank you for your time. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwire.com or Conversations with The Wire at the Instagram and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.